want you to stand with me right now for the reading of the word. I believe I'm on assignment today. Today's going to be a little bit different. And my assignment today is to put my pastor hat on and serve you as a pastor. And I'm going to speak from my heart something that I did not plan on speaking today, but something that I believe God placed on my heart in the middle of the night a couple days ago. And just, uh, I woke up with it, and it's just been there. And so, look with me to 1 Kings 18, verse 36, is where we'll start. And uh, if you're visiting LifePoint, we're so glad you're here. And I'm sure the Lord knew you would be here, and this will apply to you. But I'm speaking to the house today. God, just put this on my heart. So... Let's take a look at this. 1 Kings 18, 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have known this day that you are, uh, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. I want to preach a message today I have entitled Man-Made Climate Change. Say that with me. Man-Made Climate Change. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would eliminate distractions in our minds. I pray, God, that you would let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Give me words to say. Lord, give us ears to hear. And I pray that at the end you would be glorified. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There's been much said and written about global warming. Al Gore's award-winning movie, An Inconvenient Truth, convinced many that the earth has a fever. There's a hole in the ozone layer. The polar ice caps are melting. The seas are rising. The concepts assumed by Al Gore's flick are considered sacrosanct, defended with religious zeal, especially by younger generations, Gen Xers, Millennials, Gen Zers. More recently, since it hasn't necessarily warmed, the wording has shifted from global warming to climate change. And the part that's most fiercely debated is the claim that climate change is man-made, that life as we know it, nature, if you will, is on the brink of cataclysmic change, extinction, because of man. As a result, government has stepped in to regulate industry, business, production in unprecedented ways, even down to the point of fining you if your old clunker doesn't pass an emissions test, which in my opinion is just a way of sticking it to the poor. Can I get an amen? You know, and then you get a ticket because your inspection's not passed. And then you got to go get it fixed, and then you get another ticket, and then you're paying fines. And it's just ridiculous. The Kyoto Protocol, the Paris Accords, are a reflection of the global effort that's being made to stave off this catastrophic future brought on by man-made climate change. Long gone are the days of Woodsy Owl saying, give a hoot, don't pollute. And the Native American with the tear running down his eye as he looked at the pollution in the stream. Now, Genesis 1.26 says this, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Church, man was put in charge of this planet. He was given dominion over everything that is in it and on it. He was commanded to exercise authority over it, to dominate it, to subdue it. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But Psalm 115, 16 clarifies, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth, which is His, He has given to the children of man. So we could put it this way, God owns the earth, but He's given the use of it to man. Now I'm not here talking about pollution, climate change, global warming. I'm talking about prayer and the exercise of authority in the earth by believers. Amen? Like a lease, God has placed the earth and all that has to do with it into the hands, the stewardship of humanity for a certain period of time. The earth is the Lord's. He owns it. But in His sovereignty, He's lent it to humanity. The Latin is usufrux. We see that in real estate. Man gets the use and enjoyment of the earth. If we were to rent this church to somebody, this building to somebody, For the next 10 years. And we did not stipulate any restrictions or conditions. Just that they could lease it for 10 years. Then whoever we leased it to could tear this place up. They could turn it into a bar. They could turn it into a strip club. They could sell drugs in this house. They could commit crimes in here. They could hurt people in here. And theoretically... There would be nothing we could do about it for 10 years. But when the lease was up, we'd come in here and clean house. But until then, the one who would control the climate of the house we owned would be the one who had the lease and the use of it. That's how God has set it up with the earth. That's why there's war on the earth. That's why there's violence on the earth. That's why there's abuse on the earth. And we need His authority to access the spiritual, the heavenly realm. But in a sense, He needs our authority as sons and daughters of Adam to access the earthly realm. Now that sounds like heresy to some. It's like exalting man to some level that we think he shouldn't be exalted to. But I'm telling you, this is the foundation of why and how we pray. Prayer is not us repeating words. That's vain repetition over and over. Rather, prayer is a submitted to God, man or woman, exercising their God-given authority in this earth realm by believing and speaking and demanding that the will of God be done on this earth in the affairs of man. For God's power to be released in the earth, man must release his authority by praying and believing, and speaking, and demanding. Jesus said it, didn't he? Ask anything, I might add, anything authorized by the covenant. He said, in my name, and it shall be done. Did he say that? He did say that. Ask anything. The wording, ask, make demands of things that are due, that are authorized in the covenant. Ask anything in my name. Either he told the truth, Or he was telling us a lie. I'm fixing to do some work in this house today. I feel it right now in my spirit. We need to understand he's authorized us to pray some things. And your prayers are way more powerful than the devil wants you to think. The devil wants you to think that you have no effect. The devil wants you to think your prayers are hitting that ceiling and bouncing off and coming back to the floor. But you are speaking things into existence. You are praying things into existence that are the will of God. The devil doesn't want the church to wake up and realize your prayers 
are powerful. John Wesley said, it seems as if God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. No wonder, no wonder Jesus told his disciples to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was saying, I want you to pray God's will into being. I want you to believe it and will it, if you will, and speak it into existence. One definition of prayer is this, to will with words. We are to align our will with God's will and speak accordingly. It's a good thing we're coming up on a week of fasting, negative talk. God wants us to begin to pray the will of God to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. The Lord needs you. I I, I don't want to overstate that, but I don't want to understate that either. The Lord needs His church to pray. He needs you to pray. This is not just us making a connection with the Lord so that we're better off. It's to get the will of God done in the earth. There's things that won't happen if you don't pray. I'm hitting a wall, but I'm going to work through it. You hear what I'm saying? I'm going to work through it. We're going to walk through this. I'm talking about man-made climate change. If you've been born of water and spirit, you are authorized, you are commissioned to pray the will of God into existence on this planet. It's what you were designed to do. It's what you were made to do. It's what your destiny is. You can pray your destiny into being. You can pray your calling to come to pass. You can pray for somebody else. You can pray for the lost. You can pray for nations. People in America, we're so callous to that. We think our culture is is so religious and so Christian that we don't need to pray. You just fly across into some foreign fields, you step foot off that airplane and you feel the darkness and you know why missionaries know how to pray and touch God. They're believing God for the will of God to be done in that nation. They can't do it on their own, but God can't do it on His own either. He needs them. They need Him. And it's a partnership in this covenant work of praying and working and seeing God do what only God can do. But He can't do it if somebody's not praying. God is not going to step into your family and do what needs to be done if somebody is not lining up and speaking the will of God into that family. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. My assignment is to be a pastor. I'm not here to be your friend today. I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm here to be your pastor, and I'm speaking to this church today. So just fasten your seatbelt. It takes spiritual strength to give birth to spiritual things. I mean, in the natural, that's true. How many of you mothers know what I'm talking about? Birthing babies, right, Ashley? Giving birth to babies takes some strength. Giving birth is not for sissies. I don't know if you could say that anymore, if that's politically correct or not. But giving birth is not for sissies. It takes stamina. It takes strength. And it's the same with giving birth to the things of God. God dreams, visions that he's put in your heart, destiny, people being born again of water and the spirit. It doesn't just happen. It's not just something that's an easy thing. I mean, getting born again is, but getting people to that place. Paul prayed. He said, I pray for those that have already come into the church. I travail in birth again. In other words, I've already travailed that you'd get to this point, but I'm travailing in birth again that Christ would be formed in you. It's work. It takes strength. And week in, week out, through our life groups, through my preaching, I'm here trying to get hope to the hopeless and faith to the faithless. But if there's no strength in this body, in this house, this local assembly, to give birth, it's not going to happen. I'm bold, y'all. I'm a church planter. 
the older I get, the realize the more I realize how crazy I've been in my youth in starting churches. You think starting churches is easy? Go start a church. Have fun. Get plenty of tongues. Get you some Pepto Bismol. You better save some money. Because it's all going to disappear quick. You better learn how to pray. I'm bold, y'all. I, I'm bold. I've seen people in my living room drop to their knees and turn to the Lord Jesus. I, I've preached around the world, different places, crazy places. I told you Wednesday night I preached in the subway in New York City. Preached on the streets. Preached in, 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 in just crazy places. Very dark places. But I've seen God do incredible things. But I've always had a team around me that was believing God could do anything, man. A, a team around me that believed that God could do the miraculous, that God could, could change the lives of people. Believers uh, who didn't come to be spectators in, at an event, but who came to get on the field and get their hands dirty and get in the game and change the climate of the situation where we were. Folks, I need a team in this house. I need some believers who are not afraid to get their hands dirty and who understand this is, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual endeavor. And for people to get born again, we need some people who change the climate. Amen. Can you give them some praise right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Mark chapter 6, the Bible said, this is astounding. One of, my, one of the most profound scriptures in all of your Bible is found in Mark chapter 6. The Bible says that Jesus could not do many mighty miracles in his hometown. He could not. It doesn't say he would not. He wanted to. Darren, he wanted to, but he could not. He could. The one who said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He could not do many mighty works in his hometown. He could not. He's anointed, authorized. His ministry is up and running. He has the power to set the, the captive free to heal the brokenhearted, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Anoint, that anointing that removes the burden and destroys the yoke, it was on him. And he comes to his home, to, and he could not do many mighty works there. Couldn't do it. He couldn't. Everybody say he could not. Jesus Christ couldn't. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He has all power and all authority. He could not. He could not do his ministry was restricted in Nazareth. He could not. People that needed healing couldn't get healed. People that needed deliverance could not get delivered. Jesus' ministry, I'm talking about Jesus, not Donovan, Jesus Christ, could not. Could, listen, in, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, that there's, there's, there's a gathering in a house in Capernaum. The place is packed. The house is packed out. And the Bible says, and the anointing to heal, the spirit to heal, healing power was on Christ for the people in the house. And not one of them got healed. Luke chapter 5, you can, you can read the story. There was a man with four friends that was let down in the middle of that congregation. So you have four men believing with the one. The one man was healed. He was on a stretcher. He was, his sins were forgiven and he was healed. But nobody else was healed that day. And the power of the Lord, the Bible says it was there to heal them. But none of them got healed. He could not in Nazareth. He could not in Capernaum. He could not. Just a few people. Just a, a few. His ministry was restricted. In Nazareth, Jesus called it unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. He was stunned at their unbelief. I have so much to offer you, and yet you don't believe. Now, their unbelief was masked. It sounded differently. They didn't come out and say, we don't believe this can happen. We don't believe it. 
They didn't say that. They said stuff like this. Isn't that Joseph's boy? Or the idea is this. Who does he think he is? I mean, where does he think he's from? We're from this place too. And Jesus called it unbelief. That unbelief, listen to me, created a climate that restricted the Lord from doing what he wanted to do. Prevented him from doing what he willed to do. Stopped him from doing what he was sent and anointed to do. The people of Nazareth effected man-made climate change to the point that Jesus could not do what he was anointed and appointed to do. And that lack of miracles, that lack of the power of God, that lack of the flow of God's Spirit in Nazareth and then later in Capernaum, same thing, was not on God, it was on those people. It was on them. Often, we want God to do some things here at LifePoint. We want God to touch our loved ones and our friends. So we try to get them to visit. And we kind of sit there. I'm going to be pastor. Is that all right? I'm not here to tickle your ears today, folks. I'm here to get us down the road where God wants us to get. We sit there and, and, and we, we just kind of put everything on God like, God, I hope you touch them. Oh, God, I do something great in their lives. And we put it all on DH, like that preacher, I hope to God, he preaches a good message today. It's like a rare thing, you know. If we can get a good message out of him, like, oh, God, I pray that you preach a, he preaches a good message. We put it all on the worship team, man. I hope, I hope those girls and that guy, I hope they can bring it, you know. I hope they can bring it today. Lord, I just, I just pray. we put everything on, on God and DH and the worship team. And, and when nothing happens, we'll blame God, DH, or the worship team. But you need to hear what I'm saying. God takes his responsibility very seriously. He wills to do some awesome things. He wants to do some awesome things. I take my responsibility very seriously. This worship team takes what they do very seriously. They're here when you're not here doing, uh, getting ready to, to bring the worship but let me tell you something. you got a role to play in this too that goes beyond just sitting there. You need to fill this house with faith and fill this house with expectancy that God can do anything, that God can do something. You need to reach out in faith and believe. Come on, give him some praise right now. I'm talking about man-made climate change. Now, unbelief, Sam, we don't come out and say, I don't believe it. We say things like this. Well, I've, I've, expect, I've hoped for things through the years, and they never take, take place. And I mean, I kind of doubt if it's going to happen. Or, or maybe things like that, that, you know, miraculous took place in the good old days. But it ain't going to happen today. You know, I don't believe, I don't believe it's possible. I, I used to believe it was possible. Then I had some trouble I couldn't overcome. And now I've just kind of given up. Or, I, I, or, or we sit there and we say, I don't want people to think I'm a fanatic or I'm crazy. So we're very reserved. But as the Greek philosopher Sophocles said, and my cousin Chris, he also said this. It is what it is, okay? It's unbelief. You can mask it. You, you can call it all kinds of, of things. But it's unbelief. I'm tired of talking about the things that can happen, church. I'm tired of talking about the things that used to happen way back then when I first came to the Lord. Why don't we see some things done here and now? How come we can't create an expectancy of faith that anything can happen and then begin to praise and worship God and get out of our box and unleash our faith in this house because God wants to do some powerful powerful things among us in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We can create an atmosphere. I remember telling some of my, my guests back in the day, I was in a church at one time years ago before we started traveling. I was in a church that caught on fire. And I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to describe it. But it was a church that caught on fire, Wayne. It just, it just, 
the power of God moved in that house, and it was never the same. And we would pray, our prayer room was explosive. We had Bible studies going all the time. Valerie and I were teaching Bible studies. We were bringing people to church. Church started late uh, because half the people were still in the prayer room. Guys, we're so programmed today. We're so flipping professional at church. We're professional Christians. We're professional churchgoers. We program. We have agendas. And, and, and But back then, and I'm not trying to go back to the good old days. I'm just saying, I just recall a few things that, that were interesting to me. We would start church late because half the church was still in the prayer room having a fit. Do you know what I say when I say having a fit? I mean lost in the presence of the Lord. Some are falling out like they're dead. You know, Isaiah got a revelation of the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said. His train filled the temple. And I dropped him. This is a prophet of God. I dropped to my knees. And I said, whoa. Who's me? Like, oh, no, Lord. I'm not worthy to be here. And the Lord touched him and commissioned him. Was talking. He was lost in that place. John, in the book of Revelation, I love the book of Revelation because it's such an honest account. John is an apostle, followed the Lord for 50 years. He's an old man. He's, he's a Jedi in the force, you could say. He's been following the Lord for a long, long time. And an angel of the Lord appears to him. And John falls down and begins to worship an angel. John. And, he, and he, he writes it. He says, and I fell down at his feet, you know. And the angel said, get up. You know, I'm, I'm a servant just like you are. Oh, yeah, I knew that. You know, excuse me. Yeah, high five, servant. You know, like you and I, we're on the same team. But he was, he was blown away by the realm of the Spirit. And then he saw the Lord. And he describes him. He was, he, he was again, the idea of falling down is dead, just blown away. Like, I've been in some of those places where I've been blown away. When's the last time you were blown away by the presence of God? I mean, blown away to where I don't care about lunch. I don't care about, you know, the agenda, the service time. I'm just, I mean, I care, but I don't because I'm here. I'm lost. We used to sing that old song, lost in the presence of the sweet Holy Ghost. I'm just kind of lost in the presence of the Lord. We would, we would be in that dimension, that realm, and we would come pouring out. And I would have guests that we would bring to church, some of them first-time visitors, bring them to church. And the church, is, is, it was crazy. I'm just telling you, like, like I thought it started at 7. Well, we, you know, we're, we're going to get started. And some people come busting in the side door. Woo! Oh. And I had to make some choices and decisions. With those guests, I would try to prep them ahead. You don't need to be a fool, right? You, you need to prep people ahead of time. We were loud, you know, a little boisterous, excited, you know, like, fasten your seatbelt. You know, this is not your mama's church. You know, it's not SBC. It's not First Methodist. It's different, you know, a little bit different. And so uh, I, I would prep them, but they'd still be sitting there like, I thought church was good. And then it would start, and it would just poof, explode. And, and seriously, people would come up to the front and fill, fill the front and people be worshiping and praising, and, and then people start getting hands laid on them. Uh, and, and it was, as the Cajun would say, it got thick in there, right? It got thick in there. And I had to make some decisions. I'd go to my visitor, and I'd say, hey, I know this is kind of wild and stuff. Uh, you, just, you just absorb. Just watch this. I mean, if you feel like it, just, just experiment. Raise your hands. Close your eyes a little bit. I'll be right back. I'm going to go dance a while, you know. I'm going to go up here and dance just a bit because I knew this is not about me and this is not about becoming a professional and trying to get you to become a professional Christianette in my little church at, with my little preacher at who preaches his little sermon at. This is about an encounter with God that's life changed, that gets the attic off their drugs, that puts the marriage back together, that puts some hope in a hopeless person and some faith in a faceless person. And I would say, I'll be right back. I'm going to go dance. And I would not hold back and try to be professional. I would step out. Nothing about me. I was just lost in it, man. And I'd worship. Sometimes I'd grab Valerie and we'd be dancing and worshiping the presence of God. And God would touch those people inevitably. They knew what. They knew we weren't crazy, but they wanted to know, what in the world do you have a hold of? I've never seen anything like this. I'm hungry for that. Church, 
The world is hungry for an encounter with Jesus that is beyond religious. Talking about climate change. Climate change. We need an expectation where anything can happen. Where babies can be born into the kingdom. Where the addict can be set free. The broken are healed. Restoration and renewal happens every time we get together. James chapter 5. Verse 16, the last part says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruits. Talk about climate change. In Elijah's day, Jezebel and Ahab had 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtoreth that sat at their table, meaning they were subsidized by the state. Thanks to Jezebel and Ahab, Baal and Ashtoreth worship were state-sponsored religions. And what's crazy about that is that the worship of Baal involved child sacrifice. I could describe it to you as brutal as horrifying. And the worship of Ashtoreth was filthy and dirty and provocative. It was crazy. And the state that was sponsoring these false religions was none other than Israel, which was supposed to be worshiping the one true and living God. And Elijah had had his feel and with a prayer that was based on Deut- Deuteronomy 28, 23 through 24. He initiated, literally, man-made climate change. And for three years, three and a half years, it did not rain. And then he has this showdown with these prophets of Baal. We don't know for sure about the prophets of Ashtoreth. They were invited to the party, but they're not mentioned. So you have these 450 prophets of Baal. And it's a long story, and there's some amazing detail, but the short of it is this. Elijah got a word. It was time. Timing was perfect. And so he called for these 450 prophets of Baal to show up at Mount Carmel for a showdown. And at this showdown, Ahab invited all the children of Israel. And Elijah gave the rules of the game. He said, here's what's going to happen. There's 450 of y'all. I want you to go first. And I want you to set up an altar. And I want you to offer a sacrifice there. Kill a bull, put it on there. And I want you to uh, call on Baal. And, and, and then, you know, if Baal answers by sending a fire from heaven. You know, fire normally burns down here and goes up. But we're going to get upside down world here and have fire burn down from heaven and consume the sacrifice. If that happens, then Baal is God. But if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to set up an altar. I'm going to put a sacrifice on it. And I'm going to call on my God. And if my God answers, and he's God. So y'all go first. So they started early in the morning, and they set up their altar, and they put a sacrifice on it. Some of you know the story. They put that sacrifice on there, and they started early in the morning, and they began to call on Baal. Baal, Baal, hear our cry. Show these people that you are God, and nothing happened. And so they prayed from 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. It was mid-morning. It got lunchtime, and Elijah starts making fun of them. He said, hey, there's 450. Think about it. There's 100 and some odd people here today. And so you got, say, four, you know, three, four times whatever's in here. And and he says, uh, and all the children of Israel, he starts calling out to those prophets. He says, hey, hey, guys, maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he's at the beach. Maybe you got a little getaway. Maybe he's on a cruise. He has no cell reception. 
They like ignore him, you know, shut up. Oh, Baal, hear us. Elijah continues to say, maybe he's at lunch. He got hungry. He's eating a little bit. He's at the Piccadilly. He's in the buffet. He's at the Golden Corral, right, the feeding trough. He's at the Wonderfall. He got his finger stuck in the Wonderfall. He's He's at lunch. He's eating. That's what he's doing. He even said things like this. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I mean, he's just messing with them. And they're mad. They're getting angry. So they start cutting themselves. It says as their tradition was, as their custom was. They start cutting themselves, trying to get their God's attention. I mean, they killed their babies. So here they are cutting themselves. They're lancing, cutting, slicing. And the Bible says the blood was gushing out of them. They're desperate, man. They're like calling on God. The problem was he's not a God. He's an idea with demons behind him. Just the devil manipulating them into thinking all this stuff. And they're cutting themselves. They're trying to get their God's attention. And the the devil can do some some fake signs and wonders. We see that in Scripture. But he, he was on a leash that day. He, he wasn't doing anything that day. And there ain't nothing happening. And finally, you hear what I'm saying? Finally, Elijah said, time's up. It's my turn. I'm going to tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. It's our turn. It's our turn. It's time for some things to happen in your life. It's time for some things to happen in your family, brothers and sisters. It's time for some things to happen in your finances. It's, try, it's time for some things to happen in your calling, in your destiny, in the vision that God has for your life. It's your time. It's time for something to happen. The devil's had his heyday. The devil's done his thing. It's left a lot of questions unanswered and a lot of problems. But now it's your turn. And Elijah said, it's my turn. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And he gets out there because he's going to make sure God gets all the glory. And he digs a ditch, right? He gets 12 stones, sets them up for the 12 tribes of Israel. He's going back to that covenant concept. 12 tribes of Israel. Sets up 12 stones, takes a bull, kills it, slices it up. Gets a big, uh, digs a big, gets his bobcat out and digs a big ditch around the stones, and the altar, and then says, we're going to fill it with water. Now, there's a drought going on. Water's precious. He says, fill it with water. So they fill it once, twice, three times. Drench the altar, fills the ditch with water because he was going to make sure nobody thinks I planted this. I, I, I lit my Zippo and stuck it under there when nobody was watching as if Elijah had a Zippo, right? And, and he just uh, he set it up, and he put, drenched it, and then he backs off. And he prays a prayer of less than 50 words. A prayer that would took less than a minute to pray. It's not in the length of the prayer. It's in the faith behind it. Some of us think, if I just pray long enough, it's going to happen. But if you're praying and not believing, you're wasting your time. He gets up, 50-word prayer, takes less than a minute to pray. What if I said we're going to have a prayer meeting? First Monday prayer is from 7 to 7.01. Better get here on time. It could be that way. If what we were praying for, we believed. He gets up. He prays this one-minute prayer. Oh, Lord God of Israel, I read it to you. Show these people I'm on your team, and you're the God of heaven and earth. And the Bible says a fire, like a lightning bolt, comes from heaven to earth. And it licked up. The water, it burned up the stones, the sand around it, the sacrifice. It, it consumed everything around it. And, and the people said, the Lord, he is God. Elijah's God is the true and living God. And Elijah said, go round up those prophets. We're going to get rid of those cats. They're, they're, they're false prophets. 
and, and then he went and he put his head between his knees and, and he began to pray. He began to pray again. He prayed. Now, it took him a little longer this time. The Bible says that he prayed a prayer and that the heavens were shut. And it says he prayed another prayer and the heavens were open. But we see the details of that prayer here. He, he, he got down, put his head between his knees. The literal there is he got into a position of birth, of birthing. And he began to pray. What does that tell me? It, it was not just a, I don't know how to put this church. I'm just, I'm being your pastor today. It wasn't just a head prayer. It was a heart prayer. It was a gut-wrenching prayer. Got down and said, oh, God, the people have turned to you, and you have promised that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then you would hear from heaven, and you would heal their land. Now, Father, the heavens have been shut up. And I prayed according to your will and prayed that to pass. Now, Father, things have changed. It's time to open the heavens. And he's praying that prayer. And he tells his servant, are there any clouds? Do you see any clouds? They said, we don't see any clouds. He said, I don't see any clouds. Nothing. He gets down and he prays again. Lord, you said it. And he's just believing and he's praying. And it's taking a little time. I'm not against long prayers. And I'm not saying when it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't believe. I'm just saying there's a mix here. And he's praying and he's saying, Lord, I'm believing you, Lord. I'm believing you, Father. Open up the heavens. Pour out a blessing. I'm praying that you would open them up as you did in Noah's day, Lord. Not that much, but just open them up, Lord. Send a deluge on this place. Hey, do you see any clouds? No, I don't see any clouds. He believed what he's praying because he's sending for confirmation. Do you see a cloud? No, I don't see a cloud. Lord, I thank you that you shut them up. I'm asking you to open them. Thank you for answering my fire. And the people have turned to you. He prays and he prays and he prays. And finally, the servant says, hey, I see a little tiny cloud, like about the size of a man's hand. I see this little tiny cloud up in the sky. He gets up. He says, that's it. He tells Ahab, uh, listen, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Are you kidding me? There's a, a cloud the size of a man's hand. This little tiny cloud. He wasn't hearing it in the natural. It was in his spirit. He knew God started the process. And if God started, nobody could stop it. He said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. You better get some shelter because it's coming hard and it's coming fast. He girded up his loins. He took off running. And it whoosh, the, the rains came. It was the latter rain, the former rain together. It was a deluge that came. God answered that man's prayer. He was a man just like you and me no different than you. He was no different than me. He was in a lesser covenant with fewer rights than you and me. He just was tired of playing church. What would happen if we had a team of folks here who just got tired of playing church and said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to give God my praise. I'm going to give God my worship. I'm going to believe that if God said it, it is so. Thus saith the Lord, so be it. And we would begin to pray along those lines. I thank you, Lord. You said in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And God, I have some family that need your spirit on their flesh. I need it now. And I'm asking you, Lord, send the rain. Send the rain. Send the rain. And, and we would check on it. Hey, would you like to go to church with me? Is the Lord saying anything to you? No, shut up. I can't stand it when you talk to me about church. No problem. Go back. Father, in the name of Jesus, you said that in the last days I'll pour out of my spirit. You said that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I got some friends. I got some family. Needs to call on your name. I'm asking you, God, make a way. Devil, you're a liar and a thief. I pray that you, your hand would be removed from them for a season and that they could think with clarity and the Holy Spirit could convince and convict them that Jesus is Lord of all. And we go, hey, you want to go to church with me? Shut up. I can't stand it when you talk to me about church. I, I, you, you make me sick. Why are you calling me all the time? Why don't you talk to me about something else? No problem, you know. Uh, did you go fishing? Catch any fish? Awesome. Let's go have some coffee. Okay, just not. don't talk to me about church. No problem. Not going to talk. Go back, pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the na- I'm asking you, Lord, you promised in the last day, saith God, I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Call them up. 
uh, I know what you're going to ask me, don't tell. One day, you're going to get a phone call from them. It's going to say, hey, what were you telling me about? I got some questions. You never know. God knows how to pull the blinders off, but he needs your prayers. He needs my prayers. He needs a church that's believing God for climate change. Amen. Can you stand up with me right now? Amen. It grew until it became a gully washer, as we used to say. What would happen if we believed we could change the atmosphere? What would we do if we believed that everything could change? Curses could be broken, removed false gods defeated terrible situations turned around what would happen how would we act how would we pray if we really believed the heavens could be opened and we could effect a change in the climate if I were to continue that analogy, I would say, and things would heat up on this earth with the Spirit and the kingdom of God. Because I'm telling you, the lease is almost up. And the owner is coming to clean house. And the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. I'm telling you, the dictators are going to fall. The North Koreans, it's going to be a change. Libya, Iran, Iraq, Sudan, The United States of America, Canada, Great Britain, it's going to change. The Republic of the Congo, South Africa, it's going to change. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I'm not part of 150-50 Daigle Road the church with the dots I'm part of the kingdom of the living God where anything is possible I'm a partner with a covenant making covenant keeping God who has commanded and authorized me to pray in his name powerful prayers that bring down strongholds that set the captives free why do we lay hands on people why do we pray for the sick why do we pray for deliverance because we believe that God is able and God has sent us into all the world to preach the gospel and to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, to cast out demons in His name. I believe that's the truth. It's not the, just the stories in my religious book and you've got yours. This is the word of the living God. Let the God that answers by fire be God. Are you willing to make that challenge and draw that line? And say, Your prayers are very powerful. done. Can you just lift your hands right now? Come on, just feel after the presence of God. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of hell. Let it somebody recently listen to me in their family I told somebody recently there was a couple married same sex marriage it was drug abuse alcoholism I've had this conversation with several people connected to life point and not connected to life point 
It seems so hopeless. Our culture is raging out of control. We who believe this standard of the Most High God, we seem like foreigners and aliens and strangers in this world. And I told somebody recently, several people, I said, it's never too late. Our God is able to save no matter how far somebody's gone, no matter where they are. That church in the book of Acts was raised out of the ruins and the garbage heap of the Roman Empire. Tiberius had a cliff. When he got mad at somebody, he just threw him off the cliff. Thousands were thrown off the cliff. Perverse man. Nero started out good, went crazy. Married a guy, married a girl. Killed Christians by the thousands. And the church just marched on and grew at exponential rates. And many in Caesar's household were saved. People with all kind of false ideas and philosophies came into the truth. That was the challenge of that first church. We got Jews and we got Greeks, and they believe in philosophy, and they believe they this, and, and Christ is stumbling block to them. And, it's, and, and what, But here's the deal. Christ is Lord over all. He saved us all, and we are one in him. And, and, and that was the challenge, trying to get people to believe God is able. He's still able. If he got you, he can get somebody else. If he saved you, he could save somebody else. I'm telling you, his arm is not short that it can't save and his ear is not heavy that he can't hear. He hears your prayers, and he's waiting on your prayers. And we're going to do something different. The presence of God is in here thick. We're going to do something different. We're going to pray some prayers today. God's wanting his people to pray some prayers, not just in a formalized way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I said it once. Our Father, I said it twice. Our Father, I said it three times. It's just a vain repetition of some words. He's wanting us to pray the will of God to pass. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He wouldn't have said that if it wouldn't have taken those prayers. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you with me? There's a holy anointing in this place. There's, a, there's an anointing to pray some prayers. Some of you need to pray some prayers. Remove that carnal thinking that says it can't happen. And begin to say, can and begin to pray that it will. I'm going to invite everybody to come to the front right now. And as the Lord leads and as they sing, I want you to begin to pray some powerful prayers. Pray for your babies. Pray for your family. Pray for the lost. Pray for yourself. Pray for your situation. I've been delivered, God, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I thank you for the saving power that has brought me this far. Thank you for your amazing grace. Come 